Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and HALC staff. The U.S. decision to shift its focus from the East Med gas pipeline to regional electricity interconnectors is an opportunity for Greece. That's what energy expert Nikos Tsafos argued in his latest op-ed in Kathy Merini, Beyond the East Med Pipeline. Nikos Tsafos joins The Greek Current to talk about this piece, in which he explores the impact the proposed pipeline has had on the region despite questions over its feasibility, looks at this shift in U.S. policy, and explains how this presents a unique opportunity for Greece to reframe the dialogue around energy and climate change in the region. Nikos Tsafos is the James R. Schlesinger Chair in Energy and Geopolitics with the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Nikos, welcome on to The Greek Current Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Nico, the withdrawal of U.S. support for the East Med gas pipeline has dominated the news over the last week, and support for this project has always been premised on commercial viability. So why is now the time that the question of commercial viability should be settled? And also, why should it be settled by the U.S., which was never providing funds or financial incentives for this deal? I think there's two different things going on here. One is, what does the U.S. think about this region and energy in the region, the gas pipeline in particular? And the second thing is about the pipeline itself. Let's begin with the pipeline itself. I personally have been involved in various capacities with this pipeline for the better part of a decade. And from the beginning, this was always going to be a very difficult project. It was always a long shot. It was an idea that if the gas resources in the Eastern Mediterranean struggled to find a market, if some of the ideas that floated around about exports from the region as liquefied natural gas or cross-border pipelines, if all those things didn't work, it would be great to have a pipeline to Southeast Europe. So from the beginning, people have understood that this has been a difficult project. So what has changed in the commercial front is, one, we have the European Green Deal and the change in the European market that has altered the demand environment. That's one. And the second thing that has changed is that the resources of the region have actually been developed for the most part. This is not gas that is waiting around to find a market. This is the gas that, for the most part, has found a market. It has found a market in the region, countries selling to each other, Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, and also some gases leaving the region through Egypt. So those two things together mean that all these questions we've had about commercial viability are a little bit clearer now, and the path to success looks a lot narrower. That is the backdrop on the fundamentals of the pipeline. A tough project hasn't made that much progress in the last 10 years. The market has gotten harder. And so the pathway to success looks much, much narrower, if not existent. That's the reality of the East Med pipeline. The U.S. position is a little bit of a different story, because with this administration, the Biden administration, from the early days of this administration, there has been a very public statement that the United States is going to review and rethink what kind of support it offers for carbon intensive, that's the term, uh, projects worldwide. This came out in January of 2021, so a year ago. It's been an ongoing discussion with guidance from the Treasury, uh, statements from Secretary Yellen, from other parts of the administration. It's gone into the mandate of the Export-Import Bank and the Development Finance Corporation. This is a very sort of methodical approach to saying, as the United States, we have different priorities and we are thinking anew what kind of projects worldwide we want to support. And we only want to support those projects that are consistent with our views on where the energy system has to go. So when I look at what happened recently, 
what you're really seeing is the articulation of that interagency process that has taken a year to be articulated, sort of manifesting in a specific region of the world where people then have say, okay, this is the guidance, this is the new policy. How do we reconcile that policy with projects that we have supported in the past? And so that I think is what you're seeing. So it's not that you know the U.S. has decided that the project is uneconomic or that we were counting on the U.S. to support this project or give money to the project, is that the realities of the new policy that have come out from the entire administration are being now reflected in this part of the world. Nico, despite the questions over its viability, the pipeline has served as a catalyst for regional collaboration. Has Eastern Mediterranean energy cooperation advanced because of the negotiations and planning around the pipeline? I think the East Med pipeline served as a great catalyst to bring countries that wouldn't otherwise be talking as much together. Look, if I'm being intellectually honest, if you go back 10 years or 11 or 12 years, Egypt was selling gas to Israel, Egypt was selling gas to Jordan, there were already existing trade routes, right? And those happened before there was an East Med gas forum, before all this collaboration happened. So it's certainly possible that you could have had trade in the region in the absence of these broader shifts and regional dynamics. So that's true. But it's definitely also true that the pipeline allowed, especially the Greek connection to the Eastern Mediterranean to become much stronger, to connect it to Israel. It gave Israel an opportunity to engage with European countries in a more direct way. So it is absolutely true that the pipeline acted as a catalyst, even though, to be very frank, if you speak to most people in the region, they understood the difficulties of the pipeline as a commercial project. So I think it's always important to think of the pipeline as a actual pipeline of steel, of moving gas, and the pipeline as a symbol and as a conduit for regional collaboration. The pipeline as a pipeline has not gone very far. The pipeline as a conduit for regional collaboration, I think, is a much more successful story when we're going to look back at the history of the last 10 years. Nico, you brought up how countries in the region haven't been waiting on this pipeline to monetize or take advantage of the natural gas discoveries that they've got in the Eastern Mediterranean. We also recently saw a comment in Kathy Medinit from President Erdogan, who stated that there's no way to take advantage of East Med gas without Turkey. Given you know, what you've laid out for us, is this comment out of touch with reality? I think it is. I think if you had said this seven, eight years ago, I think people might have said, oh, you know, he may have a point in the sense that Turkey is a big market. It was at that time a growing market. You naturally, when you have a resource, you try to think about where can I sell it to? You look at a map, you can understand the synergy between a big resource holder and a big market. But today, this argument, I think, makes no sense. The region has, for the most part, found an outlet. It has found it in the region. And it is exporting gas as liquefied natural gas to the world. And by the way, this is one thing that I find incredibly ironic. We are sending gas from the East Med to the world through Egypt as LNG, liquefied natural gas. The second largest destination for Egyptian gas is actually Turkey. So Turkey is actually receiving East Med gas through the existing infrastructure and the realities of the market. And it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with Egypt is selling gas to the world. Most of this is going to Asia because that's where the premium market is. But last year, it turns out Egypt or the companies that sell the gas from Egypt found an outlet in Turkey. So that also tells you that the market has already figured out how to sell this gas. And you know, if the market sends it to Turkey one day, that's fine. It might send it to other parts of Europe the next day, and next year it might send it to Asia. 
But these are all through the existing routes that we have worked on. This isn't about building a pipeline and the need for building a pipeline to Turkey, which is what Erdogan is talking about. That is a totally different story. And I think that vision is very much out of date. Nico, you write in your latest op-ed in Kathimedini that the U.S. decision to shift its focus from the Eastern Mediterranean gas pipeline to regional electricity interconnectors should come as no surprise. This move certainly matches up with domestic energy and infrastructure policies pursued by the Biden administration. Are there other international fossil fuel projects that the U.S. has changed its position on in the last year? What you've seen is definitely a reevaluation of U.S. support for projects. It's become an issue quite a bit in sub-Saharan Africa, where there's a lot of criticism about whether the United States should be supporting infrastructure and especially power projects related to natural gas in order to advance economic development. It's come up in Southeast Asia. The previous administration was a big proponent of trying to build up the liquefied natural gas infrastructure in Southeast Asia. So there hasn't been a case of exactly what we're talking about in the Eastern Mediterranean, of one flagship project that the U.S. had a certain view, and now the U.S. has a different view. It, it hasn't been quite as public and sort of front and center in the discourse. But you've definitely seen this shift across the board in a number of geographies. And by the way, the fact that this was going to be a tough thing to do was very well known. I mean, I, I was writing about this a year ago, saying that this adjustment is obviously going to lead to difficult conversations in places that for the last four years had the Trump administration tell them that they should be doing LNG projects. We knew that this was going to be a difficult adjustment. It's been a difficult adjustment, not just in the East Med, but in other parts of the world. But you know that's the reality of coming up with a new administration that has put climate at a much more central position of its domestically and international posture. You're going to have to make changes in how you talk about things as a result of this shift. Given the shift toward, you know, these regional electricity interconnectors, and I want to highlight a couple, one, the Euro-Africa interconnector, and the other is the Euro-Asia interconnector. What can you tell us about these projects? The basic conception of these projects and the reason why the U.S. can say that it can support them rather than the gas pipeline is that electricity is fuel neutral, right? You can generate electricity with coal, with nuclear, with gas, with oil, with renewables. And so part of the attraction of these projects is that they have a long horizon to live. Right now, if you were to build a connection, it would probably actually move power generated with natural gas. But over time, these countries would generate power from different sources and it would move renewable and low carbon power over time. So that's one. The second thing that we know, again, from international experience, is interconnectors of electricity we know are easier to build than gas pipelines and interconnectors. To take Greece, for example, Greece has interconnectors on electricity with Turkey, with Bulgaria, with Albania, with Italy, with North Macedonia, with all its neighbors for a far longer time than it's had gas pipeline connections with any of them. And this is true for many other parts of the world. So what you have is a view of regional collaboration that is more able to withstand the changes in the energy system and the transition to low carbon energy sources. It tends to be a little bit simpler to do the historical experience shows. It's still going to be tough. I, I don't want any listener to think that the U.S. saying that these projects are supported by the United States means that somehow we're going to start building them tomorrow. Far from it. There are still major challenges. They're expensive. It takes time to be very candid. It's taken time for Greece to connect its own islands to the mainland, right? So if you look at that history, I wouldn't expect a project of this magnitude to happen immediately. 
but it is a project that is consistent with where the world is going. And I think that is the important part from a U.S. perspective. In your piece, Nico, you note that this shift in the U.S. position presents an opportunity that is too good to pass up for Greece. How can Greece take advantage of this opportunity and what assistance does the United States have to provide for this to be realized? What we've learned from the ASMED Gas Forum is it is a great foundation for countries to talk about all sorts of things, right? And they have come together to show solidarity towards one another in ways that go way beyond natural gas. So if anything, we are already at the position where the region itself has superseded the gas pipeline and the gas issue We've already used it as a springboard to talk about all sorts of other things. So in my view is rather than arguing over the merits of the ASMED pipeline, whether it's going to happen, what the U.S. should or should not have done, that Greek diplomacy should recognize the reality, which is that the pipeline is one part of the gas picture, which is one part of the energy picture, which is one part of the energy and climate picture, which is one part of regional collaboration more broadly. I have heard multiple people, including from your organization, talk about how we should think of the ASMED Gas Forum as a sort of coal and steel community that ultimately evolved to be the European Union. Well, at some point, you have to change from the coal and steel community to something else. This is the whole point of a regional collaboration that evolves. So the way I see it is you had a very difficult project. The U.S. position has changed. It was very difficult to materialize. Why not say, fine, we can still, if we want, talk about the ASMED gas pipeline, but we're going to broaden the agenda. Let's put other things on here. Let's put electricity. Let's put renewable energy sources. We could be talking about offshore wind. We can be talking about hydrogen. We can be talking about smart cities and urban mobility. There are so many technologies we can collaborate on. We can be talking about climate change. This region is going to be really affected by changes in precipitation. And those are issues that are going to strain the countries. So my view is this gives an opportunity to Greece to change the agenda, to come up with a bolder set of topics to put on the table. What does the U.S. do? I think this is very much aligned with how the U.S. thinks about this region. The United States has always appreciated and encouraged the non-energy elements of this collaboration, understanding that energy was a foundation, and frankly, a challenge for U.S. diplomacy across the board. This isn't just about the East Med, is how can U.S. resources be better put in place to support this regional collaboration. We have seen in the past the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, which has been repurposed into the Development Finance Corporation. OPEC back in the day supported some of the pipeline infrastructure in Israel. There's been a lot of hopes about the DFC supporting infrastructure projects. What we see from the U.S. government across the board is a mandate to the DFC, to the Export-Import Bank, to the Millennium Challenge Corporation, to USAID, to all the institutions of the federal bureaucracy to support climate, to do more on climate. And so I think switching this conversation to new areas opens up much easier pathways to access U.S. support directly. And some of it is not even directly linked to you know, some of the constraints that exist, for example, in the Development Finance Corporation, which has a development focus. Exim doesn't have that same focus. Exim has different objectives. So I think there's a broad apparatus on the U.S. side that could support this vision much more easily and cleanly that was, I think, the Greek hope for money out of the DFC. And so I'm expecting that sooner or later, the conversation wants to start to circulate around specific projects that the U.S. role could become much more material at that point. Nico, thank you for joining us on The Greek Current. 
Thank you so much for having me. In other news, The Guardian reports that Greece has vowed to intensify its campaign for the reunification of the Parthenon sculptures amid optimistic signs that British public opinion has shifted markedly in favor of returning the prized Elgin marbles to Greece. The sculptures are the most important link between the modern Greeks and their ancestors, said Tassos Hadzivasiliou, an MP who is the Greek Prime Minister's top foreign policy advisor. Our strategy will be to turn up the heat, to keep this issue in the public sphere, and to raise it at every opportunity. Hatsi Vasiliou said that an about turn by the Times newspaper arguing for the treasures to be returned to Greece was evidence the campaign was working. Finally, Reuters reports that Greece will forbid new road building and development in six of its mountain areas, taking a first step to protect its last remaining virgin habitats, Environment Minister Kostas Krekas said on Tuesday. Greece will not allow any new roads or any other kind of human construction in six mountains on the islands of Crete and Samothraki, on the Peloponnese Peninsula, and in central Greece which have a huge environmental value and are an integral part of our tourism, he said. Environmental groups and locals have long opposed plans by private companies to build roads and allow the installation of wind turbines on mountain forests, arguing they would scar some of the country's last remaining virgin areas. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.